Hey folks, so the title of this whole series is How to Grow a Whole Family, and that's what I'm finally going to talk about today. Not like a mom and dad, two blonde kids in the sunlight on a Christmas card type of family, those two, but family in all of its weird arrangements. So a couple of things. One, if you're wondering about the title, like I thought this was whole relationships, this is confusing, what's the actual title of this thing? I actually lied about the title, straight up lied. It was not clickbait, I mean not entirely. It was more like, I don't want you to think this is some sort of podcast for mom and dads about parenting or something. And have you noticed, I actually haven't talked about how to grow a whole family at all. I've been talking about truth and motives and pain and power, basically a lot of things that get in our way. A lot of things that need to be deconstructed. So if you're ever thinking, Seth, you're deconstructing all of these things, but what are we going to construct here? I'm going to get there. Because organic things grow on their own when you stop killing them. See, I've discovered something. This is true of my own life. I also talk to so many other people who have all these questions about their marriage, their jobs, their relationships, decision-making, just overall health. And when we explore invariably the first steps tend to be well wait a minute why are we doing this okay well let's stop doing this thing or why do we believe that this has to be this way let's stop believing that lie right I'm not recommending something new to someone I'm not recommending a new program or a new book which is really our cultural language right we're always being sold something a fix a better way a new product do this thing more and the more often only causes more problems. You think about the ironies around us. Do you know people who spend half of their time in the doctor's office and the other half eating really poor food choices? They'll go on two dozen medications, but they won't change their diet. And they'll say things like, oh, I could never go without my biscuits and gravy. Okay, biscuits and gravy are amazing. But if you have to choose between biscuits and gravy and Medicaid, well, never mind. But all the while, People can construct this alternate reality of unhealth because they won't make a couple of basic choices to stop doing some things that that are causing all of that or spiraling into that. See, our culture can be so messed up. We drive in a car to a gym to work out on a treadmill. I mean, that's funny, right? (laughs) Our culture works 70 hours a week and then spends more time in counseling for broken relationships. This is not so funny. Our culture is the loneliest in recorded history. They say about 42% of us experience chronic loneliness. And we sit in traffic jams because there's so many people around us, we can't even move. So most of people getting back to health doesn't involve starting something new. It involves stopping a lot of the unhealthy things that we're doing. And if we think we can't stop unraveling the lies that have held us prisoner, exploring and untangling those false beliefs that are embedded in our emotional memory that have kept us from living the healthy way that we know we should live. And I think this matters as much as anything we do. Everybody needs to be a part of a healthy family. Now, you may think you're not social. You're like, oh, I'm so introverted. But you're a human. That, to say that you're not social is like saying, I'm a worm, but I don't like the dirt. To say that I, I don't like being in groups of people is like saying, I'm a 20-year-old male, but I don't like sex. It's like saying, I'm a toddler, but I don't like slobbering all over plastic toys, right? Of course you do. Did you know that out of all of the things that cause us to live the longest, the longest predictor of life, now you probably heard this, you know where I'm going, 
but it's not by a little bit. The top two, by far, are social. Controlling high blood pressure has like a 0.1 effect size. Being proper weight as opposed to overweight has a 0.2 effect size. Exercise has about a 0.25 effect size. Stopping drinking has a, a 0.3 effect size. But the two biggest effect sizes, each of them over 0.6, number two would be how many deep relationships we have. And the number one is how many shallow relationships you have. Like how many, they call it social integration, just how you speak to people as you go about your day and whether or not you acknowledge the people around you that you may have a mild connection with. That study suggests that whether you run on the treadmill has less to do with the length of your life than whether you talk to the person on the treadmill next to you. And family is when all of our closest deep relationships are together in one room and it becomes a place that feeds us so that we can socially integrate with people outside the family as well. See, more than any of the stuff that we strive for or do or accomplish, our family dictates our life. We are coming across this in so many spheres. And on a side note, I find it interesting that sports teams and extracurricular groups and workplaces have started calling themselves families and families are calling themselves teams right we're team nickels it's is it is if this is supposed to be a stronger bond is if teams are supposed to be stronger than families when teams know that if they want to do anything great they have to become a family see we're learning this in workplaces aren't we you find me a playoff team in the nfl with the most talented people possible and the ones who consistently went out are ones who create a sense of family in the locker room but you can put together this all-star list of players and you get them fighting with each other and you get this funkiness going in the locker room and you know where that goes it's a losing game we're finding this out in school you know, we used to sit kids in rows. There we were. We were planted like corn in rows, you know, each with a textbook. Get out, get quiet, sit down, shut up, get to work, listen to the teacher. They're going to pour into your bucket to fill, them, to fill you up full of knowledge. But we're finding that out that this doesn't work, right? So what do we do now? Tables. They have roles at their tables. Each kid is unique and has their own contribution. By talking to each other, they create a sense of community and family right there at the table. In fact, all the education research has trended more and more towards you want to develop healthy kids, high-performing, create a family in your class. I went through this training two years ago, and they literally broke down everything that we did in our routines, everything from like how we decorated the rooms to, to what we're doing in the daily routine to how we speak to each other to the names that we call each other to how we address the kids and how we treat them, to create a family atmosphere in everything that we do that creates a sense of security for them and attachment. Because security and attachment is the basis and foundation for learning. And it's not, the irony is not lost on me that our society is one that pulls kids out of families, sticks them in rooms with 20 other kids, an adult that they don't know, and now our research, we are shocked to learn that kids learn best in families. And so we're 
trying to recreate that here. And we're finding this out in workplaces. All of the innovative workplaces, you know, for decades now have started spending untold resources. At first it was on conflict resolution stuff, and then we trended towards more team building. And now it's just expected in most workplaces that you do things to keep the cohesiveness together because that's what creates productive employees. Now, if you are like half of Americans, your family isn't a nuclear family. I'm a big fan of the nuclear family because the nuclear family does provide a pretty good illustration for what a family could look like. Now, family's taken on all kinds of different looks. So you may be in a nuclear family or your family may be at work or in the gym or you may have a social group on the side. But family is the healthiest place for a human to be. Now, after you deconstruct all of the bad things, how should you construct your family? Because there's actually a way that people are meant to operate. There are certain ways that you grow things. Circles. Humans grow best in circles. Now, you may plant your corn in rows, and we may have planted people in cubicles, but we're finding out that the most efficient way to plant gardens aren't necessarily in rows. In fact, if you want a really healthy, organic, and really efficient garden, you plant plants strategically in groups based on what they need. It takes a whole lot of knowledge to do this. Diversity, though, provides for a strong soil, and some plants fix nitrogen in the soil for others, and other plants provide nutrients that they need, and so it is with families. That's not the way we've done farming. One time I heard a Franciscan say that they practice non-violent gardening as opposed to this giant, colossal American way where we destroy all of the top of the soil, totally demolish it, we plant what we want, then we douse it with fertilizer, we squeeze more and more productivity out of it, we got herbicides on it to kill the weeds and the fish in the Gulf of Mexico, and then plant them closer and closer together, more and more and more efficiency. We genetically modify it. We kill the corn, haul it thousands of miles to its destination in an aluminum can of soda, and by the time we're done with it, that is one tired, lifeless corn plant. But some of us have done our families that way. Some of us feel like that in our families, don't we? We're tired and lifeless, going on this constant treadmill, trying to produce something with our family group, trying to get the most efficiency out of them, and none of it feels organic, and none of it feels right, and none of it feels like this is how families were meant to be. Do you know people like that? Maybe you're like that. I think we all feel that way sometimes. We're doing life in rows, and we're just another number on somebody's spreadsheet. This is how often we nay, we organize ourselves. But circles. You remember when Google came out with circles of friends? Only it, you may not remember it because nobody got on their social network. Facebook basically killed it. But it was it was true that Google had illustrated how we often arrange naturally with circles of people, and they. Everybody that is a friend, you can put them in whatever circle that you have, your work circle, your college friend circle. This is language that we've used in a lot of different places that you've probably used before. Now, obviously, all groups don't always naturally arrange themselves in circles, but a family does. And I'm a big fan of families because I think that's how humans grow to be the most healthy. But think about the shape of a circle and what it says. No one is in the front, occupying the stage, getting all the credit. No one is on the bottom or the top, 
Everyone is equally important and we're all connected to each other even though we're all different. Everyone's focus is turned equally inwards towards one another. There's sort of this invisible core in the middle that all of the rest of the family is built on where there's something there but you can't exactly see it or describe it. There are occasionally times when that circle needs to turn outwards and when it does it has open eyes to see every angle of the world around it. Not that it can see the whole world but it can see every angle from its vantage point. Reminds me of the old wagon groups on the Oregon Trail or the campers camping out in circles for protection. Your different perspective is a welcome blessing in a circle. The diversity of all of the different perspectives around provide this really important sense of security and safety for each other. You have a different role and you can be a completely unique individual, but you're all in it together and you're all equally value. Circles represent justice. You see why a circle is a good way to grow humans? It's good for everyone in the group, inside and outside. Because if you have a healthy group on the inside, then you can give to the groups on the outside. The strength of the circle is in the bonds, the connection power between the members. And I told you, if you remember that to the power episode, that that connection power is the strongest form that there is. Maybe that's why we feel like there's nothing stronger than the spirit of family, right? It, it's why we also would grieve if a family breaks up, almost like a death has taken place, because it has. You can look around and you think, how many of us might rely on some core families around us and those families staying together? And if one family doesn't, you have this one really strong family that everybody's relied on over the years, and if they break up, that can cause all kinds of messy, messy ripple effects. And all of these people and relationships and systems that have depended on that family being intact now have to regroup and say, well, what are we going to do here? And how are we going to make it now that this family is not together anymore? Now, imagine the connections between you. I mean, imagine the connections between the people in the family. Imagine those connections are like a rope or a vine, if you want to go with the organic metaphor, that grows between you. There's you. There's another person who is in your family. Let's say it's your child. And then there's the connection vine or rope between you. That connection is built a couple of different ways, three different ways actually. It's built with empathy and shared stories. It's built by pouring out yourself and opening yourself to each other. And one of the best ways to do this, to connect with your child, is to tell them stories of whenever you were a kid. Now, what does that do? It tells them, ah, he gets me. He's been through this before. And I'll survive this too. This is not some distant person who doesn't have a clue what life is like for me. This is a person who's gone through something similar to what I've gone through. We can connect here. Now that's one way is to tell them stories and to, to give them parts of yourself that relate to them. The second good way that you create this strong connection is to listen to them. You ask them questions. Now remember, if this is your kid... Your goal is to keep them talking. That's like parenting. I don't care what else you do as a parent. If you can keep them talking, this is victory as a parent. You do that by questions. Not nagging questions, 
not these really deep questions that they don't want to talk about and they're refusing and they're giving you the, the stiff arm on that. Not tell me all about your day, overwhelmingly open-ended questions that they can't answer, but any questions to keep them talking. And you can go deeper once they start to talk. And then you listen and you respond with joy. Then they know that you hear them again. They know that there's something there between you that thickens the vine or the rope. It grows that vine between you. So they see you by your stories and you see them. And then the third thing that you do, and you know, this isn't just with your kids. These things work with any relationships. The third thing that you do, you do things together. Adventurous things, challenges. You do something creative together. It's like the final leg of the Trinity, okay? I listen to them, they listen to me, and we create something new and exciting together. We go camping, we ride a roller coaster, we go to a scary place, we serve the homeless, we paint a picture, we make cookies, we do a mission together. This is true of any relationships. Three things that thicken your connection vine or your connection rope. Listen to them, talk to them, create with them. Now, zoom back out to the circle. Each one of these connections are really important in a circle of family because you think about a family. When Beth and I got married, we had, well, one connection. That was it. It was me and her. That was the family. And then we have a kid. And now Beth and I still have this connection growing between us. Yes, we do. But then I have a relationship with Emma and so does Beth. And how many ropes or vines or connections are there? Three. Three people three. Then we have another kid. So there's those three connections plus my connection to Maya plus Emma's connection to Maya plus mom's connection to Maya. You add another kid and all of those plus four more. My family of six has 15 connections. Yes, I did the math like any good dad should. There's like this math equation n squared minus n times one half, right? The number of connections you can uh, that you have based on the number of people in a family group. Now it's actually really important because your family can get too big, <clears throat> Duggar family, like the number of connections can start to get unmanageable. One of our family goals, as an example, was for everybody to go on a date night with everybody this year. Now, that doesn't sound like it should be too hard, but that's eight date nights. And that's only because my kids can't drive each other yet or there'd be 15 date nights. And then you start to work those into all the other things that you do. And you go, oh, wow, this is actually getting really complex. Now, you can get too big, so big that you can't sustain all of the one-on-one -on -one connection. So maybe you should come up with a rule for this. I don't know. Get back with me. Like, what, what's the optimal number of connections? You, you do that, and you, or the, the number of people that you should have in a family. Like, if, I think seven, maybe. If you have seven people, there's three times as many connections as people, which is probably optimally healthy. And it's why you have five fingers, one for each kid. But if you have 12 people, that's like five and a half times as many connections as people. It gets too unwieldy if you're talking for strong connections between your family members. So we need a space where we're all equally loved and valued and connected, not too big and not too small, just right. Goldilocks, family. I'm not suggesting that you get a perfect size family, but something that's manageable and works. Often, most often, there's one relationship that's the primary relationship that holds them all together. It's like a marriage or a partnership or two brothers that are really close and, and all of these other relationships are able to form around that one really strong core relationship. Everything else can grow out of that and it gives freedom 
for that to take place. There's this sense of abundance because you have this great relationship that started all of the other relationships. And if that's not going to fall apart, we can build other relationships, can grow around it as family. It's that vine that's really holding it all together. And listen, it takes a hit when all of the others start having trouble. And so you need that and you need it to be strong. We need a strong marriage so that whenever my kids are having drama and fighting with each other, our relationship can sustain all of the other relationships. So the number one thing that you should do in your relationship as a family is protect the core relationship that that holds it all together. Every core, every group needs a core relationship that can't be broken. You also need to thicken the ties that bind all of the other relationships together. And the core relationship can do that. Because if there's joy there, if there's overflowing abundance there, all of the rest of the family is de-stressed and they, they have a sense of security that comes from the abundance and the overflow of that core relationship. And it gives them the freedom to love each other. But if that core relationship is like the two leaders of the company or the two brothers or the two uh, the two cup the two people in the couple the the married couple the husband and wife are having a battle what does it do it creates a sense of scarcity and all of a sudden all of the other relationship vines start to get drained and they start to that that one relationship starts to suck the life out of all of the others so man you protect that thing because that's one of the most important parts of keeping a family together. It's called attachment. Just like a vine, healthy attachment breeds more attachment all around. And it's what grows a strong family. We used to do this little activity that you may have done. It became a powerful visual for me. And I I, I laugh because it was so cheesy back in 1996 or whenever I did it. I was a part of the youth group and I was in seventh grade I think and we had this youth minister and this was back whenever youth ministers were all the rage they were this cool new thing that that was happening and I had this youth minister guy that came in for the summer and he was leading us in this little emotional devotional and we had this ball of yarn and we sat around in a circle you may have done this at summer camp or at school or wherever, and you give somebody a compliment or you tell them what you really love about them and you throw them the ball of yarn and you hold one side of the rope and they get the other side and you tell them something really deep like, I really love your shoes, that's so awesome. And then they throw it to somebody else and they say, you got such a good taste in music and then they throw it to somebody else and it's like, I really love you, man. You just make my heart skip a beat with all of the ways that you're kind. And by the end of it, you got this web. You got people in a circle. And you can see, it was a really powerful visual for me that stuck over the years, this web of relationships. Because we all need each other to grow together as a diverse group of people with diverse connections. And that's what keeps the people in it grounded together. So if you have a really healthy, larger family, but not too large, it's a lot less likely that you're going to have somebody wander away. Now, obviously, 
there are times when that happens, but there's more strength and connections because there's always other vines or other ropes that are attached to that one person. So that if one relationship is having trouble, it's not the end of the world. But whenever you just have a couple of people living together isolated from the rest of the world, what's holding that together? If that thing goes, man, that person can spiral off into complete loneliness and that happens far, far too often. So my point is that every family needs a healthy number of people all connected. And that's how they connect, is the love between each of the individuals. Now, healthy relationships and healthy individuals are really important. Moms, you need to hear this. You being unhealthy isn't helping your kid. And I think that's a line that too many of us have bought. And we may not say that out loud, but that's the way that we operate. Some of us think that it's good that we become unhealthy by giving, giving, giving all the time to the world and to our families around us. It's not good. Now, let me ask you this. If the cells in your body are unhealthy and they're struggling to live, what does that make your body, right? You know how your cells are supposed to die? The regular way. It's called apoptosis. It's clean, it's healthy, it's expected, it's planned. You know how they're not supposed to die? They're not supposed to die with trauma. They're not supposed to die with stress. They're not supposed to die in some of these abnormal ways where it becomes this mess and your body actually has a different system for cleaning up that mess than if it was apoptosis and your white blood cells have to get involved and it's just a mess in that local area. Now, there's a popular fallacy that says, well, if I'm a good person, I sacrifice for everybody else out there in the world so much that I ignore my own health. That's what Jesus would do. That's really popular in the Christian world that I'm a part of. You just be like Jesus and sacrifice, which gets translated into do everything for everybody, be a doormat, let everybody else take advantage of you. Not what Jesus intended. There is a nugget of truth in there that we don't have time to get into, but healthy families make for a healthy world. The place that you should give first and foremost is to your family. I think it, I think it looked more like this. One of my friends had a granddad that decades ago bought a farm. And his dream was to grow his family up on his farm and let his kids grow up there and play there. And he was going to support them with a business. And he turned this business into a success. And he wanted to send his kids to a college. And then he did that. And when he realized that dream, he came up with another dream. He wanted to send his grandkids to college. And he provided a place for them to live there on this farm. And it was big enough that each family actually stayed. The kid, His kids actually stayed and lived somewhere where they had enough space for their own family, where they raised their own separate families. But together on this really large farm, they were all together and it was a beautiful picture to me of what family should look like and so he realized the the dream of sending his grandkids to college but you know my friend his grandson was actually you know talked to me about him and said the most important thing that he did was that he loved us all individually all the members of his family there was a connection there it was really obvious whenever you're around that this guy, he was the patriarch because everybody there had a personal connection with them. And that, more than anything else, was the strength of his family. Now, their arrangement and that they were geographically close to each other actually mattered because it helped feed the connection, but it was the connection 
that mattered the most. So your geographical arrangement, I learned this the hard way. Our families are really spread out, and I married somebody from another state, but that actually has a bearing on your connections with each other. But you do that so that your connection can grow, and you make your family the main source of where you give your life, but you always make sure that you have more life and more life to give to them, because that's the giving tree. And so my friend told me that, he, he I remember the night that he called me, and he had been with his family around his granddad as he was in his last day. And they all gathered around, and they were singing him songs, and they were all together in that room. And he said it was the most special time, and he said, that's how I want to go. And you know, I've thought about it since then, and that's how I want to go too. With the people that matter the most, right? No, I'm not going to get any more sappy than that on you, okay? But that's the giving tree. That's what it's like to lay down your life for your family where everyone is living with a sense of abundance because you have an abundance of connection and love there. I want to close out with this little story. I, a couple of years ago, came up with this idea whenever I was watching Bill Nye with my fourth graders. I'm going to do this science experiment with my kids. There's not really a science experiment, but we're going to do this little project. We're going to create the world's largest popsicle. Only it wasn't really the world's largest, but I was just going to tell my kids that because it's fun. So I, I got all my kids together into the kitchen on one Saturday morning whenever Beth was gone. But right before they came into the kitchen, I had an idea. I'm going to film this, and I'm going to make this cool little one-minute-long YouTube video out of this, and, man, this thing is going to be awesome, and people are going to love this video, and, man, if this thing doesn't go viral, I got nothing, you know. So I get out the phone. I call them all into the kitchen, and I love surprising them. So I, this is not uncommon around our house. If we surprise the kids with something, I won't tell them to the last minute. I'll be like, hey, kids, we're going to do this, and they'll usually erupt in cheers. Only this day I had a camera in their face, and so I called them all into the kitchen, and I said, okay, kids gather around listen up and I hit record we're gonna make the world's largest popsicle and so one of my kids sweet sweet kid she's trying here and she goes yay and the rest of them are just staring at me with blank stares on their face I'm going whoa cut 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 and I stopped the video okay now here's the deal y'all aren't excited you know I get them excited and then they realize what we're doing and so now I'm like you have to fake excited this time for the video so I, I hit record and I say we're going to build the world's largest popsicle and they go yay and it's really bad acting on their part so I said whatever we're going to do this so we get together, we're going to walk down to the Dollar General and get our supplies for it. I take the phone with me down there so I can film. We get down to the Dollar General, we get uh, 26 packs of Kool-Aid, and then we get four of those four-pound bags of sugar. We get a mop for the mop handle there. There's like a dollar at Dollar General. So we go to checkout, the kids come with me, and they're getting a little bit grumpy a little bit by the time we get back to the house, but we're still in good spirits overall. But I start to notice this downward trend in our collective attitude. And here I am focused more on filming the right video clips than I am on them. So we get back to the house. We come inside. We get this 13-gallon trash can. 
We're going to fill it up with grape Kool-Aid. We're going to put it in our side-by-side -side freezer with a mop handle in it as the stick for the popsicle. We're going to let it freeze for a couple of days until we have this giant grape popsicle. I've tested, uh, I've tested out the size for the trash can and all this. I knew it's going to work. So we come back. We start to fill up the trash can. They start making 13 gallons of grape Kool-Aid in this trash can. And as they're doing that, my son, he's like three at the time, so he's not exactly the most coordinated person. Spill some Kool-Aid and I start to get grouchy by this point because my video is not going quite the way that I want it to go. Then there's Kool-Aid all over the floor. Like what else should I have expected, right? But there's uh, this cleanup that has to take place and then I start to get grouchy. I start to film again and then one of the kids starts to have a bad attitude and says something and I almost snap. Like I was about to tear into them and just give them my little rant and then all of a sudden it just hit me like this voice sort of in my head was like what are you doing Seth what are you doing you're about to ruin one of your kids best days because you're worried about a video you are about to trade in something precious for other people's opinions out there it's like, this is going to be something that they tell their kids about 30 years from now when they're tucking their kids into bed. They're going to tell their kids about the time they made the world's largest popsicle with their dad. And I almost traded that for a few cheap thumbs up and people are going to forget about that video 10 seconds after they watch it. See, this is so, it's too often the legacy of the American male is that we let our family completely degrade and erode because we're out too busy trying to save the world. Because we got people out there that we're going to please. And we're so worried about pleasing the people out there that the people closest to us, the people that matter the most, the people that are going to sustain us and grow us and keep us healthy in the hardest of times, and we're going to keep them healthy. We forsake them. We let go of them. We overlook them. We walk out of them. We put too much energy on what's on the outside and not on the inside. And so I have this really, really deep belief that like, you put your own house in order. And th this came, this saying came from G Jordan Peterson, this famous psychologist, and it's one of his most famous sayings. Put your own house in order before you criticize the world is, is one of his 12 rules for life. I would say love your own people first before you go love the world. In fact, I don't know that you can truly love and affect change into the world if you're not truly loving the people there or else it will be fake. You make your own circle healthy. You live and grow and breed attachment right there and you'll have something that the world actually needs. You'll have strength and a bond because a body is only as healthy as it sells. And, and the global body needs some healthy cells. That's why the, the human family is so important because we can't make a collective body healthy if our own actual cells are being destroyed. And you'll be amazed if you make your own circle healthy, how much there will be overflowing to love all of the circles around you. And that's a world of healthy people that I want to be a part of.